near the end when we get to a time of questions, I want to turn the recording off so that everyone is at liberty to ask questions without any concern about those things being recorded or, uh, you know, leaked to the press and all that. So. I can assure you, I'll speak up. Me too. <laughs> About what? David. Yeah. Also at the when they're at the end or when we're doing the discussion, remind us how we can move everybody where we can see them. I think Josh. You should be able, you should be able to go to the gallery view. Yeah. Right now I have everybody across the top. So I don't know what you mean by that. Gallery. <clears throat> Get one of your experts there. One of your tech, su tech support it's, minions. Uh, the top right has it. It says view, and you can put like, uh, yeah, like speaker. Or... Oh, I see it. Okay. Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, so that's we'll switch to that. Oh man. Now how do I go back? Brady, Brady bunch view. Can't you just leave it? Brady bunch. Yes. You want to just leave it like that? Well, no, because he's off slides. Oh okay. okay. All right. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and get started. We're at that that time, a couple minutes after. And uh, I want to uh, pray before we begin. Uh, I think if we're honest as parents, and the more we, we study, uh, I've been parenting now for, well, 30 years, uh, actively parenting for not quite that, but uh, outside of the womb anyway. But I, I'm still often as I study the subject and meditate upon these things, uh, I'm humbled and, and overwhelmed by the great need for the Lord's abounding grace uh, in me, in the hearts and minds of my children, uh, for my marriage, for all that we do to glorify the Lord. So let's, let's seek his face as we think together about our, our priorities as parents. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we are thankful for you. We're thankful, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you have made yourself known to us as a good God, a God who delights to show mercy, a God who has ordered and governed his creation uh, to function in good particular ways so that you will be glorified 
and so that your creation and, and especially your people will flourish. Lord, we, we confess our our weakness. We confess our sin to you. We confess our insufficiency as, as parents uh, to shepherd and to be good stewards of these great deposits that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to, to love our children, uh, to, to demonstrate that love for them in uh, an active and uh, obedient uh, shepherding, following in the footsteps of the great shepherd. Uh, help us to, uh, to discern together as a church body uh, how you would have us to live, uh, how would you would have us to, to prioritize our, our time, our resources, uh, our attention on all kinds of things. Help us to think soberly and carefully about these matters for your glory's sake, for the praise of your name, uh, for, for our increase in wisdom, and also for the good of, of our children and our children's children. We thank you and we praise you in Christ. Amen. As I was thinking about this, the session, as I outlined this several months back, thinking about the class at this fourth session, I entitled Parental Priorities. And regardless of what endeavor in life we set out to do, whatever we, we set out to accomplish, whether that's in, in the world of, of business and commerce or in our homes or in our churches, there is a, a necessity of thinking about what, what do we want to accomplish in the end? And so maybe we think about the parenting question like this. What do you want your children to be when they're grown? And, and I'm asking that somewhat rhetorically right now. We want to work through some of these, the implications of our answer. What, how do we want, who do we want our children to be when they're grown? Or in other words, when, whenever, at whatever point, at whatever age, they leave your home and leave your authority and leave your active personally involved influence day by day who do you want them to be what do you want them to be and if the first answer that pops into your mind something about their vocation then perhaps we need to recalibrate how we're thinking as parents and thinking about the priority that god gives to us not only as parents, but as Christians. In fact, even the very good and, and noble vocations of being a father, being a mother, being a husband, being a wife, those are noble. Those are good vocations. Those are good aspirations. And yet, those aren't sufficient goals. Um, in, in the early days of our church, we were, um, I think, unduly influenced by some of the things in the family integrated church movement and, and and other influences. And one of the things that, as I reflect upon that time, one of the priorities or maybe the central priority, because it was so family centered was that at the end, if, if our children are parents, if they're married and have children and they're raising their children, that's the goal. It's not a bad goal. It's not, but it's not a sufficient one. It's not a sufficient priority for us as parents. Our first thought when we think about the question, what do you want for your children when they're grown? Who do you want them to be? That answer needs, we need to answer it in some way with respect to God and his people. 
who do we want our children to be? We want them to be faithful Christians. We want them to be faithful churchmen and churchwomen. We want them to be godly brothers and sisters in a community of faith with other Christians. And so how do we think about those priorities? If, if that is the orientation of, of our thinking as Christian parents, so we want our children walking with the Lord, walking among God's people, then what are the things that we ought to prioritize now? At whatever age your children are now, at whatever stage of development they are now, whether they're still in the womb or whether they are already into their teens, what, what is it that you want to prioritize in whatever time that you have with those children? I'm going to begin sharing the screen. Uh, I'm going to do a, let's see here. All right. Can you guys now see a screen? All right. I want to think about three things this evening, and we'll spend the bulk of our time in the middle. But I want to provoke us to think that in terms of all the things that we could prioritize as parents, and and, and you know, there are endless choices, almost endless choices of things that a parent can prioritize from college prep, which seems like it, 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 that begins in preschool these days, to all kinds of, of academic pursuits, pursuits of, of various vocations, sports, family, and the list could go on and on and on, and we could subdivide each one of those uh, substantially. But what is it that our Lord has set before us as his people in general to prioritize? In Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel both, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 8, Jesus has summoned a crowd to him, and he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he says to them, listen to what Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Brothers and sisters, if, if our Lord has telling us and provoking us and, and, and pressing this matter in to his people, and he's asking this all-important question, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And so as we contemplate the priorities as parents with respect to the training and the discipleship, the shepherding of our children, is there anything more important than their soul? And, and with that, it means we have to cultivate, and this is an active, ongoing work, an on, ongoing discipline as a parent, is to create 
in our own hearts first, but also to sort of to, to pass that on, that perspective onto our children, an eternal perspective. That as long as we may live, and, and whether, as, as the Lord said to Moses, whether it's it's four score and a few extra, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, whether the Lord gives us many, many days or a short life, this life is but a mist and a vapor, the scriptures tell us. We, we have to teach our children, even from a very young age, that this world is not final. This world is not the end. And which means that everything that we do as parents, all of our decisions with respect to our children, how do we train them uh, as they grow older? What kinds of, of friends and peers will they associate with? What kinds of activities will they do? What kind of education? Uh, what is the what are kinds of things that we we say no to as a family? What are the kinds of things that we eagerly and joyfully say yes to as a family? At every age and every stage of development, the, the all those questions need to be governed in some in some respect by the Lord's question: What does it profit my son or my daughter to gain the whole world and forfeit his? or her soul. And so we need to be we need to discipline ourselves to ask questions like is this circumstance is this activity is this friend is this you fill in the blank is this good for my son's spiritual health? Or we could ask it this way is this likely to help or to harm the mind and the heart of my daughter? And sometimes when we ask the question, the answer that we get that we we get back from ourselves as we think about it is it's neutral. Because some things are are audiophora, as Paul said, they're matters of indifference. But not everything is. And even those things that are matters of indifference, if if we fill our schedule and fill our time with things that are indifferent, then are we genuinely thinking with an eternal eternal perspective? So here's the things that we we have to prioritize. Of course, as as parents, we've talked about this in an earlier session. We want to see our children saved. We are not the Holy Spirit. We, we know that in the the kind and good sovereignty of God that He has elected some for eternal life and others He leaves to their own sin. We cannot save our children. We 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 know that. However, there's a sense in which we parent as if we could. And that doesn't mean that we we undo our theology, but it does mean that we 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 take it as a matter of utmost seriousness and importance. But that doesn't end when our children make a genuine profession of faith in Christ and are baptized. It is more than just their justification that we ought to be interested in as parents. To whatever degree we have influence and opportunity, we ought to be very interested in their sanctification as well, their pursuit of holiness. And again, this is this is thinking and training them to think with an eternal perspective. We want to see not only the salvation of our children and and, and salvation in its most comprehensive sense that they that they would be justified by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, but also that they would be sanctified according to truth that they would understand the implications of their adoption and, and the indwelling of the Spirit by which they're able to cry out, Abba, Father. Are we, are we 
urging them to cultivate that eternal perspective? Are we looking to help them cultivate wisdom, a true godly biblical wisdom? You know, the scriptures contrast for us a godly wisdom and a worldly wisdom. Uh, we see this in, in the book of Proverbs prominently. We see the, the pursuit by God's people of a wisdom that's rooted in him, a wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord. And so our, our what do we want our children to be when they're grown, when they leave our home, when they leave our day-by-day -day influence? We want them to be walking in the fear of the Lord, justified, being sanctified, glorifying God in as sons and daughters of the King. We want them pursuing wisdom, which comes and begins with a fear of the Lord. And, and, and related to that, related to that, we want to see them prioritizing the Lord and the Lord's people. Uh, you, you cannot rightly say, I belong to the Lord, but I, I want no part of his people. So our children need to leave our homes with that kind of eternal perspective as, as they week by week gather with the saints. Are they thinking about the fact that this is a, this is a foretaste? In some ways, it's a dress rehearsal for eternity when we will all stand before God one day, shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters from every nation and tongue and tribe and people singing praises to the Lamb with a, a new voice, a united voice, no longer confounded by varying languages and cultures and circumstances. So these things that as we think about what, what do we want our children to be or who do we want them to be when they leave, it requires for us to have an eternal perspective because the world is going to offer to us all kinds of answers. And, and sadly, as worldliness has, um, has really marked the, the modern churches in many ways, we find even among Christians often a lack, maybe even totally devoid of an eternal perspective. Now I mentioned at the beginning, I want to spend the, the most of our time in this second section. Uh, if, if the priority is salvation, if the priority is wisdom, if the priority is to, is, is towards God and his people, then what are those habits that would point us and direct us toward eternity? What are those habits that in our homes, in our parenting, what are those habits that are likely to cultivate and maybe reorient us with an eternal perspective? Because, because let's face it, the, the reality is life happens and we can be grinding along doing just, just fine, so to speak, as, as parents. And some of those days, some of those weeks, you feel like, man, the wheels just fell off. But what do I do? How, how do we return ourselves, in a sense, towards the Lord? And, and if it's if it's sin, then we, we have the remedy for us in Christ Jesus through the grace of repentance and renewed faith. But many times it's not sin, it's just the busyness of life. And, and we've we've derailed, we've lost sight of things, and, and we we must come back and reorient ourselves with this eternal perspective. But what do we prioritize? What do we prioritize in our homes? And, and I'm 
the, the list I'm going to give to you is is not at all exhaustive, uh, but but it, I think perhaps will be helpful. And I'm going to to give you a number of quotes, several quotes from the book from J.C. Ryle that I recommended to you, Duties of Parents. In fact, I could I could just as well call this section the J.C. Ryle's greatest hits on parenting. Uh, I think there's some real gems in the book, and if you have not read it, uh, you I think my printed copy is 48 pages. It's not a long book. It's more of a booklet. Uh, I think Kindle is 99 cents. Uh, I picked up a printed copy for about five bucks. You can get a, a free audio version on YouTube. You can just type in the search bar, uh, J.C. Ryle, Duties of Parents, audiobook, or something like that. And it's about an hour and a half if you just if you listen to it. Uh, there's one from uh, there's one that comes up, I think, the top one of the search results on YouTube. That's that's well done. It's a good kind of English kind of uh, uh, pleasing voice to hear. And so I strongly recommend the book. There are I would have a few my, very, very minor quibbles here and there. But on the whole, I think it's a great encouragement to Christian parents. And as I was working through this this outline uh, several months ago, um, as I picked up his his book, I found that this this section here on parental priorities um, just just went very well with what I was trying to communicate. So what you're going to hear probably for the next 20 minutes or so is J.C. Ryle and some of the habits that he urges upon parents. Uh, he's going to have a few others that I just for the sake of time, I haven't included uh, in, in the presentation tonight, but I hope um that as we, as you both hear and have opportunity to read these quotes on the screen, that the, the Lord would stir us as parents, stir our hearts to think in these ways. Again, to think with that eternal perspective, but but to, that eternal perspective can't just be ethereal and squishy. It needs to be tangible. It needs to be something we can put into practice, even with our very littlest ones, or if we have not yet done that. It's an opportunity, regardless of their age, we can start today with, with some of these these priorities. The very first one is prayer. Very first one is prayer. Parents, if you love your children, do all that lies in your power to train them up to a habit of prayer. Show them how to begin. Tell them what to say. Encourage them to persevere. Remind them if they become careless and slack about it. Let it not be your fault at any rate if they never call on the name of the Lord. And as the first steps in any undertaking are always most important, so it is, so is the manner in which your children's prayers are prayed, a point which deserves your closest attention. Few seem to know how much depends on this. You must beware lest they get into a way of saying them in a hasty, careless, and irreverent manner. It's very interesting. He goes on in, in that section to talk about the, the fact that prayer is, is, the, is the most accessible place to start. Even before a child can read, they can be taught to kneel down next to mother or father and repeat the words that they're taught. Uh, they can learn from from the very earliest of age how to pray. And they, again, they can do that long before they can read. 
And so they learned this by, by simple instruction and by this, again, this is fixing their mind on things outside of themselves, fixing their minds on God, upon his word, upon his world, upon the eternity that God sets before us. So prayer is that first and, and most frequent habit that we need to employ as parents. These are as much habits for us as they are for our children, but training our children how to pray, how to speak to God. The second one has to do with the scriptures, a reverence for the word of God. N not not a, a, an idolatry of, of the book itself. Uh, it's common in, in Islam for a copy of the Quran to, to be held in, in sort of almost mystical reverence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about for the reverence for the actual word, for what God communicates to us as human beings. And, and to see this as not only that reverence manifesting itself, not only in a knowledge of the contents, and that's important, but also to understand the nature of God's authority that's contained in his word. You know, I was an adult. I was in my late 20s. The very first time I sat down at a Bible study with coworkers, I was invited by my employer to attend a Bible study. And it was the very first time I had ever seen this kind of reverence for the word of God. I'd been in church before, but I'd never seen this where, where men opened the scriptures together and they searched the scriptures. They had someone that would study and present, but they all approached the scriptures with the same attitude. And they didn't explain this to me. It was, it was obvious just being in the room with them. And I was not even a believer, but I could see that they took the word of God so seriously that whatever it said, they were obligated to discover its meaning. And then they were obligated to apply it because it had authority over them. Whatever the word of God said, they were obligated to believe it and then go out and obey it and put it into practice in their lives. And, and our children must cultivate that habit. We must help them to cultivate that habit. And, and we, we, we ought to ask questions to them, even at, at a young age. What does God's word say about this situation? And, and some of the ordinary questions that the, the children will come to you with, They'll ask you questions about their pets and questions about the sky, questions about the color of the grass and questions about the leaves on the trees. And children are naturally inquisitive and we can easily answer many of their questions. But to get in the habit of, of referencing them to the word of God and to say, well, you know, the word of God tells us this. This is our source of authority. This is our source of infallible knowledge. This is our source of understanding of how the world really is and train our children. Uh, to get in the habit of, of seeing the word of God as the source of all good things for us. Thirdly, not only is it prayer and a reverence for the scriptures, but be in the habit of gathering with the saints publicly. Public worship and the means of grace. Here's Ryle again. Tell them, tell your children of the duty and privilege of going to the house of God and joining in the prayers of the congregation. Tell them, wherever the Lord's people are gathered together, there the Lord Jesus is present in an especial manner, and that those who absent themselves must expect, like the Apostle Thomas, to miss a blessing. Tell them of the importance of hearing the word preached, and that it is God's ordinance for converting, sanctifying, and building up the souls of men. Tell them how the Apostle Paul enjoins us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, Hebrews 10.25, but to exhort one another, 
to stir one another up to it. And so much the more as we see the day approaching, do not allow them to grow up with a habit of making vain excuses for not coming. Give them plainly to understand so, that so long as they are under your roof, it is the rule of your house for everyone in health to honor the Lord's house upon the Lord's day, and that you reckon the Sabbath breaker to be a murderer of his own soul. Those are striking statements, aren't they? But to, to, tr to create that habit in our children, I, I did not grow up with these kinds of habits. And even after my early days of becoming a Christian, I didn't understand the, the Sabbath day. I didn't understand the, the, the commandments to keep that day holy. But, but I'm, I'm thankful that I was raised in such a way that I, I had a sense of duty. And so that my, I was taught, even as, a, as an unbeliever, that your yes should be yes. And so if you give yourself and you commit to something, then, then you follow through with that. And, and, I, and I'm thankful for that because um, our children, even at, at an early age, grew up regularly in the church. And, and unless we were sick, um, unless we were very sick, we were there because we had obligations, we had duties. And, and the Lord honored that and blessed that, even though I wish I could say that it had come from a, a well of theological conviction. It, it, it didn't early on. But yet God still honored the, the the regularity of that habit. And our children had the opportunity to see and, and, and experience together the blessings of being among God's people. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't until much later that we were able to, to teach the, the particulars of honoring the Sabbath, the particulars of, of God's promise through his ordinary means of grace. Uh, to call people out of darkness and into light, but also to sanctify us by that very same means, uh, primarily uh, the preaching of the word of God. So prayer, we make ha we make prayer a habit in, in just the ordinary things of life. I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 6 when uh, the, M Moses admonishes, or the Lord admonishes the people through Moses, that when you get up in the morning, when you walk along the way, when you lay down at night, you're teaching you're reminding, you're exhorting. And, and part of that surely was to prayer, but it was also to a reverence for the scriptures, for, for the law, for the Torah. And also there was even in the old covenant, a public necessity of gathering. Now it looked different. It was feast days and the, the Sabbath was a different day of the week, but the people were still required to gather. And that was, that was the people of old were told to make these habits for your children, instruct them regularly in these things. Fourthly, uh, the fourth habit that we want to cultivate in our children is faith, is faith. But listen to how Ryle defines this. Again, we're not thinking in terms of we are the ones who produce saving faith in, their, in our children. Here's what he means by cultivating the habit of faith. He said, I mean by this, you should train your children up to believe what you say. You should try to make them feel confidence in your judgment and respect your opinions as better than their own. You should accustom them to think that when you say a thing is bad for them, it must be bad. And when you say it is good for them, it must be good. 
that your knowledge, in short, is better than their own, and that they may rely implicitly on your word, teach them to feel that what they not know not now, they will probably know hereafter, and to be satisfied, there is a reason and a needs be for everything you require them to do. Now, in our, our next session, we're going to deal with the topic of child training and parenting, because they are, oh, how much are those those two topics linked together? Um, I mean, I was child training and marriage, I'm, I'm sorry, and how, how much those two topics are linked together. But then beginning after that, we're going to look at these various ages and stages of life from the very young to those middle years to those who are nearing the time when they're leaving your home. And for those who have young children, Today is the best day to start um, cultivating this habit of what Ryle is calling a faith, a faith in uh, their parents and a faith in, in your authority, a faith in your judgment. Because those of you with older children, you know, it is much, much, much harder to cultivate that kind of, of discipline in them, that kind of faith in them if you wait till later. Uh, it is much easier uh, to do that when they are very, very young. He makes one other statement in that same section on faith. He said, I've heard it said by some that you should require nothing of your children, which they cannot understand that you should explain and give a reason for everything you desire them to do. I warn you solemnly against such a notion. I tell you plainly, I think it an unsound and rotten principle. No doubt it is absurd to make a mystery of everything you do, and there are many things which it is well to explain to children in order that they may see that they are that they are reasonable and wise. But to bring them up with the idea that they must take nothing on trust, that they, with their weak and imperfect understandings, must have the why and the wherefore made clear to them at every step they take, this is indeed a fearful mistake and likely to have the worst effect on their minds. This was a lesson we didn't learn until much farther down the road of our journey of parenting. And I, I see this often with parents and very, very young children seeking to explain and even justify their own decisions to their children. There is a habit that's necessary to cultivate in the heart of a child, uh, the younger the better, that their own judgment, their own wisdom is not sufficient. And even with older children, and, and I'll say more about this really towards our last session, but even in our older children, um, we kind of fell backwards into this, but we learned the, the wisdom of helping our teenage sons and daughters, for example, Sometimes we would have conversations and maybe they were not quite satisfied with an answer that we would give. And we would say, why don't you go and talk to Mr. So-and-so at church next Sunday about that? And, and we cultivated uh, both in our sons and daughters, go, go and ask uh, some of the other adults, other godly brothers and sisters who have been around the sun more times than you have been, who have a greater measure of wisdom. And perhaps maybe they'll disagree with your dad. Maybe they'll disagree with your mom. Maybe they'll give you a perspective that is helpful because the scriptures tell us that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And yet we are 
we are hardwired in a sense as human beings. And this is, oh, oh much, how much is this is reinforced in our culture to think that you have everything within yourself for wisdom. You have, and just because you have knowledge of a subject does not mean you have wisdom. And so for to, to teach this habit young to a child, to have a healthy suspicion of their own wisdom, their own untested wisdom, their own solo wisdom. Uh, I, I'm not saying that we should make our children unsure and, and lacking confidence in making any and every decision. Uh, this is this is primarily directed towards very young kids cultivating this habit. Certainly by the time they're in their, their middle years and, and early teen years, we need to be willing as parents to give explanations and explain and, and begin to train in the direction of wisdom. But that's going to be very difficult to do until or unless our children have come to the place where they will trust us and accept our our word, even on things, especially on things that they don't yet understand themselves. Related to that uh, is the habit of obedience and the habit of obedience. We'll look at this next. And here is Ryle again. He says, parents, determined to make your children obey you, though it may cost you much trouble, and cost them many tears. Let there be no questioning and reasoning and disputing and delaying and answering again. When you give them a command, let them see plainly that you will have it done. Parents, do you wish to see your children happy? Take care then that you train them to obey when they are spoken to, to do it as they are bid. Believe me, we are not made for entire independence. We are not fit for it. Even Christ's freemen have a yoke to wear. They serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.24. Children cannot learn too soon that this is a world in which we are not all intended to rule and that we are never in our right place until we know how to obey our betters. Teach them to obey while young or else they will be fretting against God all their lives long and wear themselves out with the vain idea of being independent of his control. See, remember, we're thinking in terms of what are habits that orient us towards eternity? If that is our first priority as parents, is to care for the souls of our children, then we, we must help to, to establish this habit as young as possible, and to reinforce it as frequently as we can, that our children must obey, because God must be obeyed. And particularly earlier in their lives, we are their, their only true and legitimate authority. We are, in a sense, a vice regent operating under the delegated authority of God himself. And it is, I think he's absolutely right. If we do not teach a child to obey while young, they will be fretting against God all their lives long, and they will wear themselves out with the vain idea of being independent of his control. And see, that that's one of the great lies of, of our culture, is that you are independent, that we are all independent. We are all just free agents. We all get to do whatever we want to do, and we have no boundaries. We have no control over us we are all free men and and it is true we we have a, a liberty purchased 
by the blood of Christ. We are freed from the yoke and the tyranny of the law. We are freed from sin and death and the grave. We are freed from, from the tyranny and the curse of the law. But we are freed so that we are able to obey. Not so that we do whatever we wish and pursue whatever we want. And our children have to learn this because this is how God has, has created them. It's how he's created his world. And, and our children will never prosper spiritually if they don't learn this habit of obedience. Or I should say it will be very difficult for them to overcome a habit of disobedience when they seek in earnest to follow up after the Lord. Uh, for many of us, parents, I mean, let's let's be real here. For many of us, particularly those of us who, who were saved, to use the language of our confession, in the riper years, how hard was that for us? How hard is it even to this very day? to cultivate this, this orientation of obedience to God. When I was not trained as a child to, to reflexively to obey, uh, it, 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 it's come much harder, much more difficult to me. And I think some of you could probably say amen and, and, and say that that's true of you as well. Lastly, uh, the, the last habit that that is necessary for us to inculcate into our children is truthfulness. Truthfulness. Pastor Ryle once again says, I press this subject on your attention, not merely for the sake of your children's character in the world, though I might dwell much on this. I urge it rather for your own comfort and assistance in all your dealings with them. You will find it a mighty help indeed to be able always to trust their word. It will go far to prevent that habit of concealment, which so unhappily prevails sometimes among children. Openness and straightforwardness depend much upon a parent's treatment of this matter in the days of our infancy. And I think this, this has, a, as he points out, a very practical benefit. Our, our parenting is just by orders of magnitude, more difficult if we are unable to trade in truth with our children. If we were to be dishonest with them, certainly that would hinder their growth. But if they are dishonest with us, if this is a, a habitual practice, and we allow this as parents, if we, if we kind of wink and nod and allow untruthfulness to reign, and allow that to be the settled habit, then all that we do, everything else that we do as parents is just going to be that much harder, that much more difficult. Openness and straightforwardness depend much upon a parent's treatment of this matter in the days of our infancy. And, and even as a very, very young child, and, and the first couple times it happens, here's how you're going to be tempted as parents. Ask me how I know. You're going to laugh. You're going to chuckle because a child's first few lies, a child doesn't have to be taught to lie, right? This is the this is the, the the fallen reflex is to lie. But the first few lies they tell are going to be so absurdly untrue that you will almost struggle to contain your laughter. Because with a straight face, they will say some fantastical thing and actually think that you might believe it. And 
what we have to recognize as parents is that's not cute. It's a very, very serious matter. And, and in our home, some of the worst chastisement, the worst punishments were reserved for lying. In fact, whatever the original punishment would have been, if you lied and tried to cover it up, the consequences were significantly worse. Uh, and we just made that a, a policy. And so I, I urge you, as, you, as we think about, that we meditate upon habits that would orient us and help orient our children towards eternity. The scriptures could tell us very plainly that, that God himself is truth. In him, there is no deceit. And so if we want to think about eternity, if we want to think about who God is and have that before our minds and before the minds of our children, truthfulness must be front and center. It must be a habit that we cultivate. And again, there are very practical benefits. Our parenting is, is far less complex, uh, far less difficult if our children are telling us the truth, if we are able to trust their word. So these are some of the habits, and, and I, I hope that you will see that this, this couldn't possibly be an exhaustive list. Uh, again, I commend to you the, the little booklet from J.C. Ryle to help you think through these very issues and, and probably some other ones as well. And then I hope that you will, will build upon this in your own home and, in a sense, customize this, because there are things that you will need to emphasize with your particular children more or less than other things. But all of these would serve us well to think in terms of a habit of prayer, a, a habit of, of seeing the scriptures with reverence, uh, a habit of, of public worship, and, and giving ourselves diligently to the ordinary means of grace. And what I, I, I meant to say in that section as we think about that, also the habit of, of preparing for the ministry of the word, the, the habit of beforehand of simply opening the, the scriptures and reading the, the sermon text ahead of time, praying as a family, praying with your, your young ones. And there's a very practical benefit, especially with young kids, because we have them with us. Uh, even by the time children are uh, three or four, and sometimes even younger than that, I can tell sometimes while I'm preaching which children have heard this text the night before or the day before or maybe even that morning because children will perk up when they hear something familiar, when they hear a text and in their minds they think, wait a minute, daddy just read this last night and they will perk up. You, you, will, you will gain more of their attention in the worship service if these things are familiar to them. Sometimes with adults, we're, we're the opposite. If it's familiar, we tend to tune out. But just the way a child's mind works, they, they are such sponges, and, and God has wired them to take in their world so much. When something is familiar to them, they grab hold of it. They recognize it, and they, and they have a, a sense of identity with that. And so it's a very practical thing. We think about a reverence for the scriptures, thinking in and, and a, a a reverence and a habit of the public worship and the means of grace. If our children see us regularly gathering around as a family, around the dinner table, in the living room, uh, before you go down in the evening, so whatever whatever time, uh, whatever is is fits and is suitable for your schedule as a family to open the scriptures together, 
to familiarize these things with your children, to speak of the things of God, uh, to pray, to to give yourself to, yourself to the habit of worship and the means of grace, to cultivate this habit of faith in them. And again, we, we are not at the very earliest of ages, we, we are praying for a faith in Christ. But initially, they need to practice what that would even look like and exercise in a sense. If you want to think about it in a sort of a sports metaphor, there needs to be muscles that are already exercised, a sort of muscle memory. And if children are, are trained and conditioned to have faith in their parents' words and wisdom, then they will more readily, more naturally, uh, at the time of their conversion, believe and take it as a matter of faith, the Lord's exhortations and commands. So we, know we want to cultivate the habit of faith, obedience, truthfulness. And in the last place, uh, briefly, but very importantly, not only are the habits that point us to eternity, but what are examples? What are the examples that our children will see in their lives that will point them to eternity? And in Paul's first letter that he wrote to Timothy, he speaks in chapter 3, about the church being a, like a household. He compares it to a household. In fact, he tells Timothy, I'm wanting to come to see you, but if I'm delayed, I'm writing you this letter so that you will know how you should conduct yourself in the house or the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul makes the comparison. He says, there's an analogy between your own private households and the household of God. And then in the very next chapter, the very next chapter, Paul makes this statement to Timothy. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He says, be an example. He's speaking here to a pastor within the household of God. But it, it, is it a huge leap? for me to assert that this is true in your private household just as much as it is true in the household of God. For the mom and dad in a house in a household to exemplify the very habits that they want to see take root in their children. So we come back to the list again, prayer. Are we as parents setting an example here? And just as what Paul said to Timothy, he said, set your set the be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Paul is not commanding Timothy to go and be perfect in front of God's people. There is only one example of perfection for us as God's people, and that is Christ Himself. But Timothy is to be an example to the people in these very ways as an example of prayer, an example of, of a reverence for the scriptures. And Paul works that out in that very chapter, the public worship and the means of grace. He tells Timothy, devote yourself to these things, devote yourself to the, to the, to the reading of scripture, to exhortation, to the teachings of a faith 
putting these things before the people. Don't don't let them despise you or disregard you for because of your youth of obedience of truthfulness. We have a we have an opportunity as parents before we we see these habits established in our children. Have we seen God cultivate those same habits in us? Our, our children, and we've said this already in, in our, our study together over previous weeks, many of these things will be more caught than taught. We can talk a lot to our children, for example, about the subject of prayer. We can urge them to pray. We can command them to pray. But if they're not seeing that habit in us, if they don't see us, bowing our head regularly, calling upon the name of the Lord, seeking his face when we have a decision to make, seeking his face when, when we, we need help just for the day. We, we can talk a lot about the necessity of being uh, good churchmen, good churchwomen. But if they see in our lives that our commitment to the Lord's day and to the gathered worship of his people is, is so easily derailed, that the most common of circumstances can undo that. Do they see in us that our, our commitment to our, our extended family is more important than our commitments to our local church? Do they see that our, our commitment to uh, uh, celebrations of one kind or another, birthday parties or other events, that those are more important than gathering together with the saints? We can speak a lot to them about, about these kinds of habits but they will learn far more from observing how we honor them. Are we exemplifying these kinds of habits in our own life? In terms of, of faith, do we do they see in us readily accepting the word of God as the word of God, of seeing it as, as authoritative, as, as truthful, as necessary for us? Do our children see that we, we trust the wisdom of the world, we trust our own wisdom, we trust our own intellect. We trust our own abilities to figure things out. Or do they see us dependent upon the word of God for our, our certain sufficient and infallible understanding of faith, of true knowledge? Do our children see us walking in obedience to the Lord? Do they see us responding with, with repentance and correction from the scriptures? Do they see us ever change course because we've learned something from the word of God? This is this is this is how we ought to conduct ourselves. And, and we have to demonstrate a pattern of repentance. Do they see in us models of truthfulness? Do, do they hear, even in our ordinary discourse, that we're shading the truth, that we're exaggerating, that we're leaving details out? Are, are we asking our children even worse? Are we asking them to cover up things? Hey, don't tell this. Don't tell mom about that. Don't tell dad about this. What kind of truthfulness are we exemplifying to them? And moms, please do not take offense at what I'm about to say. Uh, nor do I want you to hear this as a reason to be slack in any way in your duties. But it needs to be said, dads, your example carries the potential for even greater influence than their mother. And unfortunately, 
it has the potential for a greater negative influence with respect to your example. And there have been studies done, uh, both secular and, and religious studies. Um, one study I read, and I could not find it. I went looking for it. I could not find it. But it talked about the 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 how much adult children continue to go to church when their father was involved actively in attendance of church versus their mother only. And it was astounding, the difference, that those whose dad was an active churchman, they were far more likely to continue on in their own church membership and attendance than if they went only with their mother. And that's just one example. And again, that's not to, to any way undermine or undo or, or diminish the, the necessity of a godly, motherly example. But I say that with the intention of exhorting my brothers that your example with your children, and there's a temptation to think that, well, my wife is, is, is handling these things with our children. My wife is spending the, the bulk of the hours of the day with them more hours than I am so that my, my example will not mean as much, uh, but, but don't fall into that thinking. Uh, e even with fewer hours, your influence may actually be greater or at least has the, the potential to be greater and, and probably the potential to be greater to the negative side. If you are setting bad examples in these ways, the children will likely look to that and say, well, I'm, I'm going to, if dad's not doing this, I'm not either. I remember growing up and I, I have to my own shame, I've, I've repeated this, but even something as ordinary is the kinds of food that I ate as a child. My dad had a rather, uh, shall we say, a picky palate. He, he, his range of, of culinary choices was more narrow. And I adopted that. Uh, my mom would eat all kinds of things, all kinds of vegetables and uh, everything that came out of the garden, she would gladly eat. And my dad would not. And I followed his example in those things. Um, and sadly, Gina's probably grimacing because I've passed on some of the same bad example to my own children. I uh, have the culinary uh, apt, uh, aptitude of uh, approximately an eight-year-old. But I, I say that just to I see a hand up or is that a while back did i miss it mary no that up? was me oh okay Sorry. poor attempt at humor oh okay <laughs> that, was, that was a hand raises an amen right yes yes <laughs> and also an inability to operate this <laughs> all right i meant to stop the sharing on that part um but I, I exhort you, you men, uh, to take very seriously the opportunity that you have, the responsibility that you have uh, to be examples, um, and the opportunity you have not to diminish your wife's example, but you actually have the opportunity to fortify hers and reinforce that, commend it, speak well of it, uh, point your children uh, towards her godly example, uh, rather than undermining or diminishing that. I'm going to try to figure out how to hit stop here on the record not on the session as a whole, but let's see here. Stop recording.